this morning we are talking about just this, where our security comes from, and specifically our financial security. This has been a reality for me my pastor. Now my mom was also a nurse, so we had food to eat um, and a home to live in, but I remember many family meetings where my parents would sit us down and inform us about the state of our finances, not to frighten us, but because they valued us as members of the family, and together we would decide what it was that we didn't really need. What could we live without in order to make the checkbook balance? And those were this interesting mix of fear and wonder-filled days as more often than not, God would intervene in a special way. And still we, you know, learn to do without the newspaper and cartoon channels and all of those things. But God always took care of our needs. And now as an adult, a wife and a mother facing those same struggles, I've witnessed this same God who met my needs as a child come to my aid as an adult. And this week in our passage, James is really bringing us to those wonder-filled moments. He's reminding us that all of those things we would claim as security are temporary. But that we have this amazing God who longs to be our security and in the most incredible ways wants to meet all of our needs. And so we're going to flip to James. And again, if you were here last week, the easiest way to do that is to go backwards from Revelation, and it's uh, really close to the end of your Bible, and those books are really short. So if you get to Hebrews, you flip too far, go a little bit to your right, and you'll land right in James. We don't put this stuff on, or scriptures, on the sides because we want you to be able to find the scriptures during the week to be able to mark up your Bibles, to highlight them, um, and to be able to reference back to them as you need them. And so here it is, James 1, verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed and in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business and i just want to read it from you in the new living because i think it just gives maybe a little bit more english clarity to these verses believers who are poor have something to boast about for god has honored them and those who are rich should boast that god has humbled them they will fade away like a little flower in the field the hot sun rises and the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. And James is intentionally bringing opposites out in this section of the letter to remind us that all of it is temporary. When we have nothing, we can boast because it's all temporary. Our security is not found in our wealth. But when we have everything, we can remain humble because it's all temporary. Our security is not found in our wealth. 
Matthew Henry puts it like this, no condition of life is such as to hinder rejoicing in God. In our poverty or in our riches, we can stay pure in spirit. We can keep our mind from taking strength in the wrong things. We can remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we can cling to that which is going to last, not fade away like the things of this earth. So God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word never returns void and that you always have a new truth to teach us. So this morning, would you help us to be good soil, good participants, that we would listen to your voice. And God, as always, if there is anything from this that is just my own good ideas or wisdom, would you allow that just to fade away? But that which is yours, God, would that take root and change lives? In your precious name, amen. Now, just to be, before we kind of dive in, to be really upfront, scholars aren't entirely certain that this passage of scripture is talking about finances. Some argue that it's a metaphor of being poor or rich in spirit, and the jury's kind of out, it's split half and half. So it's really, really fun to research this sermon, because um, every commentary I read had a different opinion. But if we look at the context of what James is talking about into whom he's writing, if he's talking to people that are scattered to the nations, they're literally refugees who have left their homes, have left all of their belongings, then to have a reminder that your wealth is not where your security is makes a lot more sense, right? And so we're going to go with that. And if we're wrong, Jesus can tell us in heaven. So, as we read just a moment ago, James begins this passage talking about the poor brother. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Or from the new living, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. James is calling out to the poor brother, to the one who maybe feels like he has nothing to boast about. The one who has lost it all or maybe had to leave it all. And he says, you, you have so much to boast about. And in our broken humanity, we would say, James, you're crazy. They have truly nothing. But James understands that this is not all that there is. See, there's a life with a capital L following this life lowercase l. He understands that all that we see right now, all that we can touch, all that we know and we depend on, it's not going to be there in capital L life. And those that don't have it anymore, they don't have those physical things to put their security in, they can really understand that their security, their hope, their future is not in the balance of their bank account. It's not in the car that they drive or the label that's on their clothing. They can see with perfect sight that God is their all and that God will always be enough. There's something powerful that happens when we stand before God knowing that we will never, ever measure up. That nothing we can attain Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can bring before him will be good enough. And Jesus spoke of these people who in their haughtiness think that they can impress God. 
right? They can be the best and the brightest. They can attain all that there is to attain in this life, and somehow it's going to impress God, but it won't. And in their desire to be first, they won't. They'll actually be last. But those that understand that it's all grace, that truly everything we have is a gift, the very air in our lungs, the strength to work, all of it is grace. Those are the ones who in their humility will reach out to a savior. Those are the ones who won't come before God with the arrogance of a look what I have done attitude, but the humility of recognizing that all of our best still actually isn't good enough. And those are the ones that will be first. And this is so countercultural because it's not how we've been programmed to believe. We've been told just to keep striving, to work hard for the American dream, even though we're Canadian. That if you want it enough, you can have it. And so when we don't have it, we can begin to doubt God. But God, don't you want what's best for me? Do you not love me enough? Maybe you're just not strong enough to provide for these things for me. And we begin not just to doubt his ability, but we can doubt his character. We can forget his promises. We can forget that he actually promised us trouble in this life. He promised us this wouldn't be an easy road, but you know what he also promised? That he's overcome it, that we're not alone. And he'll walk with us through it because God's heart for us goes beyond this moment. God's heart for us is that we would come to recognize him in his fullness, that we would recognize him as our security, that we would recognize him as the one who is our provision, that we would come to know and trade our lives, our brokenness for his wholeness. God's heart for us is that we would be with him in heaven for all eternity. Not completely caught up in what we can do in this lowercase l life. But in the uppercase l life that's coming. That's what matters. He knows that this is not all that there is. In fact, it's just this little blip on the timeline of our lives. There's more coming. And God's promised that to us as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are you when you come to the end of yourself, when you realize that having nothing with God is better than having everything without him. Blessed are you when you come to recognize that you need a savior, and when you come to recognize that all that you have in this life is grace. You poor ones, you are promised the life you hoped for your promised heaven. And every good and like everything you can imagine that's good and pure and perfect will be there because Jesus will be there. So believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. And so we lift our heads and we straighten our shoulders and we stand strong against the lies of the enemy of our soul that tries to tell us 
if God loved us more, maybe if we were just better people, or maybe if we just worked a little harder, a little longer, then then, then we'd have all that we desired. But no, we take pride in the fact that we're able to see with clear sight that God is enough. And that all is his grace. And we avoid getting trapped up in those things that would say, if you just have this, you'll be satisfied. If you just make it to this promotion, you'll be satisfied. No. When we're poor, we can see with clear sight that we don't need it. Because we have Jesus. And that this, all of this is temporary. But eternity with Jesus is waiting. And with that, James moves on to the opposite end of the spectrum, to the rich brother. And I had a really hard time writing our and we on this section. So if I revert to you a lot, it's just because I know that Lucas and I are never going to attain this side of the spectrum. Okay? But those of you who do, I'm rejoicing with you. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business here's the new living again and those who are rich should boast that god has humbled them they will fade away like a little flower in the field the hot sun rises and the grass withers the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. And this can be the harder scenario, right? When life seems to be falling apart, crying out to God is really, really easy. And remembering that it's all temporary is really easy and comforting when you don't have anything. It's like, yes, I can just hold out till heaven. This is all temporary. But when life is good... And when we have more than we need, and when it feels like nothing bad could ever happen, waiting for it to possibly all be taken away, that's much harder. And when we have everything that we need, remembering that it's all temporary is much, much harder. And so James is pleading with the readers of his letter, if you have more than you need, remember. Remember, this is all still grace. Remember that this excess that you have, it's not your security. Remember that it could all be gone in a heartbeat, but don't fear it. Don't be afraid of that day. Take pride in the fact that now when you have it all, you know that it's not your security. Take pride in the fact that you know that your security comes from Jesus, that you understand the source of your provision. Don't fear it. Boast about it. Matthew Henry states it like this, Then let him that is rich rejoice in the grace of God which makes and keeps him humble. And in the trials and exercises which teach him to seek happiness in and from God, not from perishing enjoyments. When we have more than we need, we have to discipline our spirits to not 
place our security there. To not place our identity and our worth there. In Luke 12, Jesus tells us this story, a parable about a rich fool who looks around at all of the excess that he has and he decides that it's still not quite enough. He decides to expand what he has only for God to speak to him and call him a fool while telling him that that very night his life is ending and it was all pointless. And Jesus gives us this warning in Luke 12, 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, God doesn't care about the state of our bank account. He's perfectly capable of increasing it or decreasing it to match his plans and purposes for our life. So the rich have to take pride not in their wealth, but in the source of their security, because in wisdom, they understand how quickly it can vanish. And wealth is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. Ambition and hard work also, not bad things. But in our brokenness, again, we can feel this tug toward the need to safeguard what we have. Like that little child hoarding all of the toys. It's mine. But you have eight trucks. No, you still can't play with one of my eight trucks. And we feel this tug of being afraid that it's all going to somehow vanish. And we plan and strive to always have more, to always need more. That when we have X number of dollars in our bank account, then we'll feel secure. When we trade that old car in for a new one, then we'll feel important. If we could just dress a certain way, then we'll feel respected. But our security and our value and our worth does not come in what we have. It comes from God alone. And he's the giver of all good gifts. And so the clothes in our closet, they're grace. The food in our refrigerator, it's grace. The job that we go to tomorrow morning, it's grace. Our family is grace. It is all grace. And when we humbly recognize that, we can guard our hearts from that tug back to brokenness. And you know what? This goes both ways. Because as the poor brothers, sometimes we have to guard our hearts from feeling resentful to our rich brothers. And recognize that we too, everything we have is grace. God's not playing favorites. God doesn't love someone more than he loves us because of what they have. That's not the case. It's not how God works. But God looks on each in your unique circumstance, in my unique circumstance, and says, will you be faithful with what I've given you? Will you take responsibility and steward it well? Because each and everything I've given you is a gift. So the rich brother knows that they can't brag on their own achievements because it's grace. And we recognize the security of who we are in Christ and that our identity is not wrapped up in our success. And that allows us to have the heart of 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the things that we can touch and strive for and have, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, it's 
going to fade away. The sun's going to scorch. It's going to wither like flowers. But what is unseen? Our relationship with Jesus, looking more and more like him, the people we're going to invest in, those are eternal. And so we remain wise stewards of all Jesus gives us, but we have the humility of spirit to place our focus on Jesus. And we like to label ourselves, right? We define ourselves based on our career, our family status. The clothing we choose to wear often tells a lot about us. The car that we drive tells a lot about us. How we decorate our home, right? Think about it when you meet someone. Hi, my name is so-and-so. What do you do for a living? Do you have a family? We ask all of these questions just instinctively because we're very, very used to defining ourselves. They can be such a trap because what happens when we lose our job? But that was the first thing I told people about me. What do you mean I'm not this anymore? What happens if I can't afford the brand of clothing or the type of clothing I typically wore? That's how I defined myself. That's the mask that I chose to present to everyone. So we need to rewrite the dictionary of us. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, your relationship with Jesus, that you've been called a son and daughter of God, that you are co-heir with Jesus, that you have an eternity in heaven waiting for you. You are in a high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, that they understand that all of this is a gift, that it's all grace, that they can't boast in it, that it wasn't their doing. There was a gift of grace. And that allows us to rewrite this dictionary. That we can define our lives not by what we have, but whose we are. That we can define our lives by the fact that we, who are nothing, were loved by the creator of all. And that Jesus died to rescue us. That he's promised us the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, Truly, no matter what comes on this earth, in this lowercase l life, whether we have plenty or want, we recognize that we are rich in what truly matters. When we have plenty, we remain humble. We thank God for it, and we seek to be wise and faithful stewards of all he's given us, that the Lord would be pleased with our management of his gift. When we have little, we take pride that this, is not capital L life. It is a vapor, a blip on our timeline of eternity. And we rely on the source of all, he who's enough. 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 10 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is the plea that James is making to those scattered and now to us, scattered in a world whose values don't match our values, whose priorities don't match our priorities. And he's saying, remember, this is all temporary. Guard your heart. If you find yourself with less than, guard your heart from allowing you to believe that God thinks less of you. If you have plenty, guard your heart from believing that you can make it on your own with your plenty. The skeptic seeks wealth for their security. They give into the lie that says what we have determines who we are. They place their trust in that savings account. They place their trust in, in the things that they have so that they could be the best and brightest. They haven't fully surrendered their worth and their future to Jesus. But the servant has seen the heart of God, and they've seen that it's for our good, but they also recognize that God is more concerned about what's eternal than what's temporary. They trust that God will meet all of their needs because he promised that. But they've surrendered what that looks like. Let's be servants. And in times of want, lift our heads and remember that we are who we are. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Eternity is waiting for us. And Jesus holds our today and all of our tomorrows. In times of excess, let's be servants. Let's remain humble and remember that what we have is temporary. Eternity is waiting for us. And all that will be there is God's. We can't bring any of ours with us. But in our current circumstance, God entrusts us with what he entrusts us. And he asks us to steward it well. He is the giver of all good gifts. And as I was praying this morning, um, God was just laying on my heart that there are people here that need to step off the throne of their life. They need to stop trying to govern their own life of their own strength, doing it their own way, and make the trade God's wholeness for our brokenness. God's strength for our weakness. God's joy for our sorrow. His peace for our fear. It's really one-sided, isn't it? And if that's you this morning, I just want you to know that Jesus died so that you could be Spared the punishment of your sin and brokenness that will come at the end of this lower L life. Eternity is waiting, and each one of us is going to have to stand before God and say, I accepted the traitor, I didn't. And Jesus died so that you could accept the trade, and you could have the uppercase L life in heaven with him where there's nothing 
sad. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no sickness. But he loves you way too much to force you to choose him. And so instead, he offers you this beautiful trade. It's up to you to take that step. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all that means is that you need to surrender the driver's seat and recognize that God is going to guide you through this life far better than you will. You allow him to be the one that speaks decision-making to you. You surrender your wants and your desires for him. And you know what? In my life, I've always found that when I surrender my wants and my desires for his, even in the moment, if it feels like it's an unfair trade, it always works out better. And then we believe in who Jesus really was. That he was fully God, born as a man. That he grew up perfect, he did nothing wrong. And he went to the cross willingly. He died an awful death to take our punishment on him. And three days later, he rose again to once and for all. I'm going to... Is anyone else hearing the feedback? So that once and for all... He could conquer sin and death. And we're just going to close our eyes and we're going to make a safe space. And so I'm asking family, if you could just close your eyes. Because if you want to make that trade this morning, God's wholeness for your brokenness, his life, capital L, for the death that awaits your consequences, would you just look at me? Just make eye contact. Thank you. Thank you. And in the seat pocket in front of you, there's just a green card. It just says decision. And it just has some next steps, some just basic things to get you started in your faith walk. And Lucas and I would love to talk with you after and just talk about what's next. But we're going to invite the worship team up and let's just pray together with these friends who have made this decision. Jesus, just repeat after me, Jesus. I thank you for your trade. that you will right now take all of my brokenness and make me perfectly whole. I thank you that you are God and I believe that you died and you rose again to defeat death and sin. And so thank you for welcoming me as co-heir with you, as son and daughter of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible tells us right now that there is celebration breaking out in heaven as God gets to write your name in the book of life.
And that is an incredible thing. I always imagine like disco balls and angels, right? Yeah? Anyone else there with me? Balloons are going off. And so please do find me after. Why don't we stand and we're going to sing this song together as we close.